My name is Zach. Today's the last week in this kind of mini-series with an Acts called The Community of the Faithful. Today we're going to talk about faithfulness for sure. You can open up to Acts chapter 5, verse 21. That's where we're going to be. I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I ask that you would shape and form us through the power of your word, by the Holy Spirit, into a bold, courageous, resilient, enduring, persevering, Christ-exalting, God-fearing, word-reading people, that we, Lord, as we go out these doors, that we would bear your image so proudly that we would represent who you are so boldly that, God, we would not be softened by the comforts, that we would not be softened by the temptations of our culture. Lord, teach us, mold us, shape us to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Acts chapter 5, verse 21. I'm just going to start reading. It says, Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. It's talking about apostles. And last week, if you missed it, they were teaching and preaching, and they got thrown in jail. And an angel, God sent a messenger to let them out of jail. And what did he tell them? He said, go back to the temple and preach some more. So that's what they did. When the high priests and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, the religious, civil re religious leaders for the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servant got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and they reported, we, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would become of this. You'd be baffled too. Someone came and reported to them, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Which, parenthetical, the very thing you arrested them for. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in, check this, without force. Because they were afraid the people might stone them. These apostles were drawing attention. They were drawing a crowd. They were brought in without force. Now I just want to get in, into the scene for a moment. Before we think about it further. These guys were preaching and teaching. They were thrown in jail. They were given a get out of jail free pass by an angel. So they got out of jail, but they were instructed, go do the thing. The, the unsafe thing. Go do the dangerous thing. The thing that got you in jail in the first place. The thing that leads you to being beat. The thing that leads you to being spit upon. The thing that leads you being ridiculed. Go do that thing again. And what did they do? They did it. These are people who had followed Jesus, who had seen Jesus rise from the dead, commissioned by Jesus to preach and teach in his name. And they were so convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be, namely God in the flesh, who came to die for our sins, 
that being validated in his resurrection, that they decided to step boldly into danger, step boldly into discomfort, step boldly into risk, because it was the faithful thing to do. First point to think through this morning. The Christian life is not a safe life. The apostles were bold. They were bold because they were right where they knew God wanted them to be. And you know what wasn't their first priority? Is it safe? That wasn't. Now, I I got a disclaimer. Don't hear what I'm not saying throughout this entire sermon. Disclaimer. I'm not saying safety is bad. At no point am I going to say safety is bad. Safety, comfort, risk-free is not ultimate, okay? It's not ultimate. Now I want to poke fun and back up a little bit at our culture because the average American's relationship with safety has evolved and changed a lot in the last hundred years, okay? It's changed a lot. And we're just going to zoom into parenting decisions as an example of this. As a parent, okay? And all of you were raised by somebody, so you can relate on some level. You zoom back a few generations, and you go to a park. What did you see? You saw a ton of kids, no parents. You go to a park today. The six-year-old that would have walked several blocks by themselves in the 50s and 60s today as a parent making sure they don't fall as they climb the pool that's half as high as their grandparents' pool that they used to climb (laughs) with no parent around. In fact, and I'm guilty of this, you got to have eyes on all your kids, especially if you got four of them like me running around. Where'd Cy go? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Oh, there you are. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. It's different. It's different. And I get it. And I, I've mentioned this in, in prior sermons, especially the 80s and 90s, a ton of really bad disinformation got out there that made the world seem far more dangerous than it actually was. And parents got more obsessed with safety because of it. And even though it was debunked and the news corrected, all the bad information they put out there, the damage was done. And people became kind of obsessed with safety in a new kind of way. Again, safety itself isn't bad. But me and my wife were wrestling through this. We read some, some, some books and watched some YouTube videos on the topic, listening to some professionals, and we decided, okay, we want to kind of back off a little bit of our kids. And as I heard one pundit put recently, we don't want them to be scarred, but we want them to get bruised, right? Bruised, but not scarred. And so one of the things we learned, if, if you've got a kid, experiment with this, because it's fascinating. We've done it with several of ours. But when a small child falls, we decided that we would ignore it. That our first kid, we didn't get to do this, but for the, the rest we did. We would ignore it. And they, because the first thing a kid does, first thing a small kid does, okay, when they're doing something that's not perfectly safe and they bonk themselves because they fall or whatever it might be, first thing they do is they look at mom or dad, whoever's closest, okay? And when they know you didn't see anything, they keep playing. But when a parent sees their kid look up and goes, are you okay? The kid is being told, freak out. 
and make this more than it is. That's what happens. That's what happens. So we did this. The majority of the time, it absolutely works, which was fascinating for us. And more recently, one of my, one of my more recent children fell, biffed it, hit their head on the ground as they fell, but I was right next to them and they immediately looked up at me and there was no escape. I was, I was feet away and I didn't want to freak out. So just for whatever reason, I just started clapping. <laughs> and unfortunately, that child proceeded for the next week to intentionally bonk their head looking for applause. <laughs> Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. Now that's fun, that's, that's funny. All of this, and you could go in so many different directions, we tend to have an unhealthy obsession with safety and it becomes unhealthy when safety begins to butt up against faithfulness. When our obsession with comfort butts up against faithfulness. When our obsession with things being risk-free butts up against faithfulness. We run into problems when the first thing we ask when deciding if we should do something is, is it safe? Not, what does God have to say? Not, let's pray, but ooh, is, it, is that safe? But that's where we find ourselves often, isn't it? What does the Bible say about the Christian life and about safety? John 15, this is Jesus. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Pers that, when that word persecute is not a light and fluffy word, by the way. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. 2 Timothy says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What do they mean by that? For those who listen and are prompted by the Holy Spirit into hard and uncomfortable situations, whether it's here or whether it's elsewhere in the world, chances are at some point, many of them will face situations that are not what you would call safe or comfortable or risk-free. Not in the slightest. They will come with tension and hostility, sometimes worse. But the Christian life isn't supposed to be a safety first life. In fact, in the world, you hear that phrase a lot, safety first. And sometimes that phrase makes sense. Take me out of context. But oftentimes, we turn that phrase into a life mantra for Christians, it's not safety first, it's faithful first. What does that look like for you? And for the Christian, that faithfulness, it might cost you. It might cost your friend. It might cost your kids. Let me just say, if you are not a Christian, this shouldn't make any sense to you. If this is all that there is, if Jesus died and stayed dead, this doesn't make any sense. Safety is everything because once you die, that's it. But for those who believe Jesus didn't stay dead, including the people preaching about his name in the temple in this text, safety isn't the most important thing. 
This kind of faithfulness is worth it. Second Corinthians says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Which means if God calls you, calls a friend, calls your child into a dangerous circumstance for the sake of the gospel, calls them into an uncomfortable conversation for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of advancing the kingdom, our role is to encourage, not to cower. Christian life is not a safe life. Continuing on. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Referring to Jesus. Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. Oh, their blood must have been boiling to hear that. This is one of those scenes where it's like to be a fly on the wall. See their faces curl up when they heard these men boldly standing up for what they believe, even though it might cost them. That's what they did. What did the Sanhedrin want them to do? They were supposed to go. Weren't supposed to be around. But these people, after being released from prison, stayed and they taught. When God calls, and there's two things I'd like us to consider. Two things that Peter and the apostles didn't do. That they didn't do. Because had they obeyed people, again, they would have been gone. But they chose to obey God, to stay, to preach, and to teach. Two things they didn't do. When God calls, one, they didn't walk away. Now, in the 1990s, late 80s, mainly 90s, a new slang entered the scene through some music. And this slang, it was slang for disappearing or leaving very quickly. Okay? And the slang was get ghost. So if you get ghost, it meant you left fast. You got out of there immediately. That's what the slang meant. If you were really into hip hop during that time period, you might recall. In the 2000s, this evolved a little bit. There was this new thing on the scene called online dating. But with online dating came this practice of someone engaging with others back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then all of a sudden completely stop communicating. And so they took that language from 90s hip hop and they inserted it into a new slang, turning it into a verb, and they called it ghosting. When you ghost someone, it means you just shut off communication. And it started as a dating thing. Yes, we're going to go back and forth. And it wasn't always just acquaintances. People would date for months and then they would just stop. You get crazy stories online. But it didn't stay there. And over the last 10 to 15 years, it's made its way into lots of different aspects of our culture. You get hiring managers writing articles online about how to get hired. And one of the complaints that you see when you look at this is don't ghost hiring managers because you have people who apply to five different jobs and they get one and the rest of them reach out to them and they just stop communicating with them instead of taking 30 seconds to write an email. I'm sorry, I found something else. I'm no longer interested. Thank you for considering me. People who are looking for a service, a contractor, a salesperson, 
for a particular thing that, that they're interested in instead of a 30-second email. No longer interested. They just stop responding. They just stop communicating. And then, of course, you get it with friendships. You get it with dating. You get it in, in, in lots of different areas of our life. This happens for many reasons. Sometimes it might be fear. Sometimes it's laziness. Sometimes it's discomfort. And sometimes it's just plain cowardice because of the awkwardness the difficulty, the discomfort of bringing closure to a back and forth with someone. Why do I point all of this out? Because we have people growing up in a culture in which ghosting someone is a normal thing to do. That the solution to discomfort or awkwardness is to walk away. And what happens when you grow up and every time you do that, you are shaped into the kind of person who when faced with awkwardness simply walks away because it's what you practice all the time. We are lying to ourselves. If you think that you can walk away, where is it? that you can walk away from easy circumstances on your phone. But when God puts you in a hard situation, when God puts you in an uncomfortable situation, that all of a sudden you're gonna have boldness out of nowhere when you've been practicing cowardice for years. It just doesn't make sense. Ghosting's just one example. But the people in the text, the apostles and Peter, they were called to a hard situation and when God called and it was uncomfortable, it was difficult and they knew it was gonna be dangerous, they didn't walk away, they leaned in. Not only that, but they refused to water down. In verse 30, we get a response. The God of our ancestors, this is Peter and the apostles, the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. Ooh, Getting, getting spicy. They're not pulling punches. Verse 31. God exalted this man to the right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. To those who obey him, not you. To those who obey him. Okay? This is their response. They gave it to the Sanhedrin straight. They gave what they needed to hear. They gave them truth and they were not willing when God had called to water it down and the word teaching and preaching in the temple the reason all these lives were getting changed and the Sanhedrin was so pestered was because they weren't willing to water down the message then either but one of our greatest temptations I'm talking to the church one of our greatest temptations when we're having a conversation about Jesus is when we see someone getting a little uncomfortable and man, God makes us uncomfortable. It's a good thing. Our temptation is to give people Jesus, just a little bit of Jesus, but the kind of Jesus that lets them live how they want. Jesus is so good. He loves you so, so much. And he's just gonna leave you alone. Until you, get to, until you get to heaven. That's a problem. 
watering down Jesus. You read the epistles of John and, and then he talks about the, when you worship the wrong kind of Jesus, you're not worshiping Jesus at all. Let me just say, Jesus in the text I just quoted from John 15 makes it clear like the world hated him. Jesus was deeply offensive. Does Jesus love profoundly? Absolutely. But the message he brings is one that divides often. And it is not fair to our friends and our family to give them a false Jesus that comes with a side of self-destructive habits. That's not fair. That's not love. I want you to think of this analogy. The gospel is kind of like medicine for the soul. Doctors in the room would know that when you're prescribing medicine, dosage matters. Dosage matters. Watered down medicine isn't going to do as an effective job as it should. Imagine going to a hospital and going bed to bed and watering down by half all of the medicine that's been prescribed. You probably end up killing someone. A watered down Bible isn't going to be revered. A watered down God isn't going to be feared. And a watered down Jesus isn't going to save and so what do we have? Two men who go out. Why? Because they obey God, not men. And they preached and they teached the truth boldly, not because it was safe, but because what God called them to do. Now this leads into an inevitable question from a lot of people. How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know? They had an angel. They had someone say it. Can I get some help, please? Is there like a God speaker I can install in my house? Add some clarity. Well, we have the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give you three things. One, how do you know what God wants? Get to know God in his word. Get to know God in his word. Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One. How do you get knowledge of the Holy One? Learn about him. Is understanding. Get in God's word. Two, seek godly counsel, Proverbs 12. A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. Go to good godly people. Chances are, are significantly older than you and have been there and who love God and are willing to tell you hard things. And three, prayer. Philippians 4 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God in the peace of God, which is what we want, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You're trying to make a big decision. These are your three things. By the power of the Holy Spirit, get to know God, his character, his nature, his personality in the text. Seek godly counsel and then pray. And when that peace lands, you move. But I'll tell you, I've had many people come and I've, most of them would be younger, younger people who've, who've made that big decision. And, and I've had these conversations in which after that decision, regret sits in. And part of that just has to do with how many options people have today. Options lead to stress. Options lead to anxiousness. Okay is really hard as a parent because oftentimes my kids need me to not give them options and I want to love them with them. But when people, especially in their early mid-20s, they make a big decision and they're prayerful about it. 
and they sought counsel and they're in God's word. And you could be any age, this could be any of you. You might move into a new place. You might take a new job. You might switch to a different school. You might join a, a ministry team or start a group. You might do something that's just kind of, kind of big or different. And then this regret sits in of, of was, it, was, was I really hearing the right thing from God? I felt like I had peace. And when you ask, well, what makes you second guess it? Nine times out of 10, you could sum it up as, I didn't think it would be this hard if it's what God wanted. Now, what do you not get in the conversation captured by Luke and these apostles? What you don't get is one of them saying to the other, man, did the angel really tell us to go preach and teach? Because if he did, then why are we getting interrupted by the Sanhedrin? Why would God tell us to do something and then make it so hard to do the thing he tells us to do? If you are in a circumstance in which you felt like you stepped into with peace a big decision and yet you are facing challenges, you're facing hardships, and probably just difficult people, let me just tell you this. It is way better to experience the hard that comes with obedience than the hard that comes from rebellion. And if the hard is coming as you step into something in peace, it's the hard that God probably has planned for you to work on you, to draw you near to him. And that's how the apostles saw the hard that they were enduring. They knew what was coming. And they knew they had to cling to God and push through. As Christians aren't about escaping, we're about enduring. And how can we endure? Because God gets us through. When things get hard, it doesn't mean they're bad. It just means the hard is the kind of hard God wants for you right now. Finishing off, last text, verse 33. When they were enraged, and wanted to kill them. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. I love what we're about to hear. I find this fascinating, the way God speaks amazing truth and conviction and wisdom through what I would consider an unlikely character. This is fascinating to me. He said to them, Gamaliel, he says to the men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in three days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished and his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men, leave them alone. For if this plan, if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. Oh, I love that. What an epic and profound grasp on the providence of God. And you see glimpses of that throughout scripture. 
One of my favorites is at the end of Genesis when Joseph, who had been sold into slavery by his brothers, finally gets into a position of power in which he has to help his brothers. And, and, and they find out it's him and, and they apologize to him and for everything that they had done to him and, and it was their fault. And Joseph says, whoa, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's someone who had suffered immense amount of wickedness to just grasp the, be- the beauty of the providence of God in the midst of it. My final thing for us to consider and what Gamaliel knew in his heart is you can't get in God's way. I just wanna say the most dynamic and diverse movement in all of human history is the Christian movement and it's still moving. And from this point all the way to today, people have not been able to thwart the plan of God. And you see just beautiful glimpses of the ebbs and flows of the spread of the gospel and history. In the Roman Empire, before Constantine came into power, before Christianity was the official religion, you have the spread of the gospel, not because of the sword, not because of violence, but because people loved and served, because people were generous and sacrificial. the, The gospel moved early on into places like China. It would be be real. It was batted back for a time. And then in the last 200 years, you had an explosion because missionaries were willing to sacrifice their life and to go to translate the Bible and to get into into the the foreigners' worlds. And at one point, 10,000 converts a day, just an explosion of Christianity in China. You think of the Middle East, overtaken by, by Islam, by the sword. And the testimony, if you were here, if you were here at the missions night that we had and you got to hear about the things and the testimony, what's going on in the Middle East, some of the numbers and the data is just fascinating. But the way that God has brought the Bible to people and the way Jesus has shown up in dreams and the millions of people have come to know Jesus, it's just amazing. Like you can't, you can't get in God's way. And even with all that, there are still thousands of people Thousands of people, groups rather, that don't have the gospel, that don't have Jesus. And one of my, one of my favorite lines from John, John Piper opened one of his books, I believe it was. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. There are people around the world who don't know what it's like to worship their creator, their maker, their redeemer, their savior. And therefore that's why missions exist so that one day they might. This is why the apostles were out in the temple teaching and preaching because there were people there who didn't know what it was to worship and surrender and entrust their lives to their savior. The one who provides in Jesus everything they're looking for, but search for in other places. This is why we do missions here. And as we get into 2024, as we come to the end of January, if you're still kind of tweaking and wrestling through, how is this year going to be different for you? If there's zero space in your life, if there's zero in your life in the way of thinking about missions, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider making that something you participate in. 
That might mean getting a card, putting on your fridge and praying for missionaries. If you're not doing anything, start there. That's fine. It might mean a trip. It might mean supporting somebody else who wants to go on a trip. It might mean supporting a missionary direct, whatever it is. But this is why missions exist. And we don't just go out and send people around the country and around the world. But if all of this is true, if Christianity, the Christian life isn't meant to be a safe life. And if when God calls, we don't walk away. And if when God calls, we don't water down and we find ourselves in circumstances that are kind of difficult or uncomfortable. But the Holy Spirit prompts for you to share or to invite. I'd encourage you, surrender and do it. Get uncomfortable, pray, seek peace. And even if it's risky, and even if it might be a little dangerous or hard, go. This might mean saying hard things. This might mean entering challenging circumstances. But again, if everything we've looked at today is true, and if eternity is what you have to look forward to, And man, the hardships we face along the way, preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Our God is good and he's faithful. Pray, seek, and when the Holy Spirit gives you peace, go. Last thing, don't look back. No regrets. Pray with me. Lord, help us to listen well. To know your word. To sense your Holy Spirit. To feel your peace. And Lord, would you nudge us in the direction, in the uncomfortable direction that you know we need to go. May we be bold. Holy Spirit, would you give us boldness? Would you give us courage? Would you give us peace? To say what needs to be said to the people to whom it needs to be said. To love well. Give us courage. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.